There we go. Okay. Got it. All right. Hi, Jen. Hi, Rach. So this is, I don't even know what episode. I know. <laughs> five, maybe? That sounds about right. Five, um, so, yeah, and it's been a few weeks. It's been a few we weeks. Viruses and life stuff. So we were just talking about how our two sisters' health could be called two moms' health because um, that's why we haven't been on here. Um, we've been dealing with illnesses and spring breaks and all sorts of things. So, so today, um, two sisters' health. I'm Rachel. I'm Jen. And we're two sisters in California and Oregon, which mm -hmm. we had snow the beginning of this week, which is crazy because it's May 13th, right. um, late for snow, but it was well received and much needed, except for when I was camping this weekend. <laughs> so we made the most of it. So today we were going to talk about meditation and, uh, you know, the focus of our podcast is health, but in a pretty loose sense. Mm -hmm. So um, we thought meditation was an important topic. And uh, Jen, do you meditate? No. I sort of consider um, some of the fitness things I do as kind of moving meditation. Yeah, I think that's, that's true. But I, I have failed many times at getting a, a meditation practice going in my life. I have definitely tried. I've had a little bit of success on and off, but mostly off. So I'm anxious to um, talk today. Maybe I'll get re-inspired to give it a try. Mm -hmm. I will say this is this week I took a drumming lesson. I, I dance and I think of that as sort of moving meditation, but I'm just started a drumming series with the same dance teacher um, and drumming following a very precise rhythm pattern that's new in your body. Uh, and I was drumming on the big dunum drum with sticks and it felt meditative to me because you're really just trying to keep the rhythm going. Um, and you have nothing but the pattern that you've practiced a few times when they show it to you and then the people around you you're just trying to keep it very precise and that felt kind of meditative to me but let's talk more broadly like when we say meditation Rach I think of someone in a lotus position in a cave right or just sitting in a quiet room and still for a long time and that seems impossible to me just when I have that image in my head Mm -hmm. So I have some mental psychological barriers to the practice of meditation. I think a lot of people do. So that's a really good point that you bring up. And that is meditation. But I think that drumming is meditation too. You know, when I run, I feel like that's meditation. Um, and there are types of moving meditation. In fact, chanting is one that's pretty mm -hmm. widely received and accepted as meditation. That would be, I think, similar to drumming. Mm -hmm. Um, so I meditate, but I haven't lately. I, I try to do a practice. I was doing a practice every day where I would wake up in the morning and I would do usually like a 10 minute meditation. Um, but I have gone to meditation classes where you do like a full hour and no one mm -hmm. talks and you sit quietly together and you meditate. And I don't actually find it that difficult when I do that. 
Hmm. Um, but making an everyday occurrence is kind of hard because making anything an everyday occurrence is hard, <laughs> maybe short of food, um, because you're j just busy work, kids, life. Um, interestingly, our dad has a meditation practice. I was just having that same thought that it would be worth our whole lives growing up. Um, oh. you know, you kind of had, there was sort of a rule you don't bother dad yeah. when he's meditating and he would meditate like what, 20 to 30 minutes or every so every single day, every day, mm -hmm. probably for the last 20 plus years, longer than that. Cause he was yeah. meditating when we were little kids and I'm more than 50 now. So interesting. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. He's been really consistent with that practice. Mm -hmm. And when I've asked him, like, what are you meditating about? Or he's like, I don't know, nothing. I just sit quietly and breathe. I'm like, okay. Yeah. And he's near 80 and pretty healthy. Yeah, he he's, is. Mm -hmm. He hasn't hurt him, that's for sure. So there, um, so I think that there's differences in meditation, but I will point out one thing about sitting on a pillow, closing your eyes and breathing. It is different than moving meditation because um, when you're running, you're looking around and you're seeing all these different things. And I would kind of call that a mindfulness practice. Mm. Um, you're breathing, you know, maybe flowers as you run past them, you're moving your body. It's very distracting. Even though you're yeah. meditating, you right. have lots of things catching your attention. Now, when you sit on a pillow with your eyes closed, um, and there is something to having your eyes closed. Our vision mm -hmm. is incredibly entertaining and distracting. And yeah. so the whole point of meditation is to get away from everything. Mm -hmm. And that's when you really see your mind for what it is, because it starts saying, get up and move, scratch your nose, open your eyes. What's going on around you? And the whole point is to try to block that out and get your brain quiet. And that's really hard. <laughs> it's easier when you can look at things because that takes your attention. And right. I think as a society, we are so distracted and, oh my goodness, yes. and mm -hmm. we have such short attention spans. Mm -hmm. So meditation is a really important practice to find our focus. I think. Right. Just learn how to be still. Mm hmm. Um, and it's in probably every culture you can think of, right? Prayer. Yeah, I was Prayer just wondering about that, right? Meditation. So when people go to church and they sit together quietly, that's meditation. It's just taking a different form. The kind that I'm most familiar with is what I learned in yoga. So in the yoga training, meditation is part of yoga, right? It's like breathing, movement, meditation, Um and so we did a lot of meditation as part of our training. Plus my teacher who taught us is a Buddhist and is, has a really vigorous meditation practice. So it was a big part of our yoga. But um, I think most yoga has at least an intro to the class where everybody sits and breathes. And then at the end of class, there's a pose called Shavasana where you lay on your back, you're totally still. And, you know, I've heard from most people, it should be at least two minutes. It can be longer, shouldn't be oh. less. Hmm. And you should have your eyes closed, palms up and, you know, just totally clear your mind. So 
um, if you do yoga regularly, then you actually are getting a decent meditation practice. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Um, I've done a, a little bit of research on the brainwave activity in meditation and right. it puts you at this place between sleep and wakefulness. Mm -hmm. So we have, you know, alpha, theta, beta, delta waves. And I didn't do research right before this to refresh of which each one is. I think uh, wakefulness is a beta, but so there's like, you have your wakeful state, you have your sleep state, and you have some in-between states. And that kind of cusp between being awake and falling asleep is what your brain does in meditation. Mm. So if you can think of first thing in the morning, they say it's best to meditate first thing in the morning and right before you go to bed. And the reason would be because you're already naturally in that Oh, right. that in closer to that state to begin with. That's interesting. That so makes it a little bit easier. So when I was doing my da daily meditation, I would do it right when I woke up because it seems you're a little bit light in terms of alertness still. You're kind of mm -hmm. still in that sleepy place and it makes it easier. Do you have something specific that you focus on when you meditate? Sometimes, I mean, I, I do different meditations. I had an app for meditation right. called 10%. I remember you telling me about that. Yeah. And they have all these guided meditations. So they would kind of, you could do these meditation challenges where it would be like two weeks where you focus on one thing. And they would kind of talk you through an idea, whether it was um, letting go, being present, staying aware. And then there would be a part of the meditation that was just nothing, where it was just quiet. Then you would just breathe and that was it. And they would set that up for a couple of minutes. And then as you came out of it, they would talk a little bit more about it, which I kind of like. You're basically mm -hmm. giving your meditation an attention. Mm -hmm. So when my mind would kind of start chattering at me, I would come back to that thought or that feeling I think sometimes if you think about something like gratitude or love or generosity, when your mind starts pulling you away, and it's usually dumb stuff like, oh, I've got to take out the trash. Oh, I totally forgot to send Chloe with that book to school or whatever. Just kind of mundane things. When that starts to come up, you just recognize it. You take a deep breath and you say, okay, I'm going to go back to gratitude. And I actually try to feel it in my body. So I think of what I feel when I'm grateful for something. So I think, what is that sensation in my body when I'm grateful? And then I try to feel it. And then each time I get distracted, I try to feel that feeling again, because it's just a word, right? Um, so trying to actually really carefully think, you know, how does my chest feel when I'm feeling grateful? How does mm -hmm. my breathing change? Because if you start paying attention to that stuff, you'll notice if you're, you know, upset or angry, your heart's racing, your breathing gets shallow. Yeah. Um, so as you start to pay attention to these emotions, then you can kind of start to recognize how that feels. And the idea is that you're trying to train yourself to be able to call that up when you need it, right? Most people don't like to feel angry or upset. Right. So if you practice meditation, then let's say I'm in traffic and somebody cuts me off. I'm not a very angry driver, but I'm using this as an example because I think people can relate to it. And you get really angry and you're like, why did they do that? They could have caused an accident and you start to get, you know, upset. Right. I don't like feeling like that. So in that moment, I can shift and say, I'm going to come back to my meditation, meditation practice. 
and take a deep breath and get back into that place of gratitude. Maybe that person had a bad day. Maybe they um, didn't see me. So you start to think, maybe I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a really good practice, right? Give people the benefit of the doubt and mm -hmm. you stop being so upset. And then you kind of just keep practicing. Okay, going back to this calm, relaxed state. Um, so before the class, I wanted to look up some scientific studies and I ran out of time because our truck died and I had to call a <laughs> tow truck and blah, 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 run the kids to school. Yeah. But I think just on a very um, practical level, how could that not help your health? No. And I, I'm not, I, could, I can't name them right now, but you're right. There's a lot of research about the health benefits of meditation there's no question that it's it's you know it promotes health it contributes to so health. i want to ask you as someone who has not had a successful meditation practice <clears throat> have you tried at and least what, not what's that been like? i have um <clears throat> i you know you are actually the biggest uh contributor to my trying when I have tried and when I've had some success, um, you recommended some books to me about that related to meditation. Uh, Bruce Lipton was actually the one that stands out the most in my head. I have it on my shelf, but I don't want to spend time looking for it right now. Um, but I read the book that you recommended from him and I was convinced that it was a worthwhile practice. This is probably two, three years ago. Um, and I, I kind of experimented with apps because there are many meditation apps now that can become its own distraction because I'm kind of a researcher. I like to review things and try 10 of something and then kind of think about how they relate to each other and the strengths and weaknesses. And, um, but I, you know, and it was, it was, it wasn't, I don't know. It's, it's not a practice with a big bang of a payoff, I guess. That's something I had a conversation. Or is it? Or is it? Right. At least it doesn't feel, you know, there's no adrenaline rush yes, for me so far with meditation. Like it's, um, and so I, I just kind of lose momentum with it. I was trying to stick to just a very uh, achievable five minutes every morning kind of thing. And I was able to do that for a while. Um, I actually would like to try to get a little timer that's not related to my phone. Uh -huh. I typically use my phone for everything, right? I use it as a timer. It's where I play my music. It's where I watch, you know, the stuff I watch, blah, 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 right? It's a terrible tiny little computer in my hand and I can just go down all the rabbit holes all the time. And so using that as a tool with my meditation ends up being kind of counterproductive. Um, so I'd like to get myself a little timer. Um, Cause if I know that, okay, I only have to sit here for three minutes or whatever I decide that morning, uh, maybe I'll have better luck with that. And, put my phone in another room or turn it off or just not have it anywhere nearby because who it's just, you know, it's too tempting. Mm -hmm. um, it's like having a pack of cigarettes. I am an ex smoker and, you know, struggled very hard with quitting and, you know, it was the best and the hardest thing I've ever done. And, um, but yeah, having my phone around all the time, it's like my new pack of cigarettes. It's yeah. That's interesting. Bad, bad, bad. Probably for most people really. Right. 
I mean, it's how I connect with you, right? There's a lot of beauty in it. And right. mm-hmm. it's yeah. just too darn attractive. It's, it's just a tool, right? But it's so um, distracting. It's exactly the what we're the worst thing about it. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, my meditation practice, actually, it's a love-hate thing. You know, I've been really bad about it this last year. In fact, I was thinking, would you want to do a meditation challenge and do like 30 sure. days? Yes. And, let's um, do it. Because I think about it on the one hand and I think 10 minutes, 10 minutes. It is not Nobody can not long. do 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Everybody can. Yeah. And especially me, like legitimately when my kids were babies, toddlers, preschoolers, you literally might not get 10 minutes uninterrupted. Like that's real as a mom of young children. Totally. Right. But my kids are older now. I, I can get 10 minutes. Not Maybe not any time I want it, but I can do 10 minutes. And I think even five. Right. I mean, when you're meditating, five minutes feels like a long time, which is kind of a gift, right? It's like yeah. how often right. do you get to expand time? Not very often anymore. Yeah, you're five right about that. Flies by. It's so if true. you can just take five minutes and let it kind of be big and feel big, that's in and of itself kind of special. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's similar. You're saying that and it's reminding me of when the first time I did a 36 hour fast, we did it together. Yeah. And I remember one of the things we talked about, about that was that it's added some space in our lives when you're not, um, cooking, having, nothing. it just, it expanded things in a certain way. Um, and you're right. Meditating does that same thing. Mm-hmm. It's a similar experience. It also kind of makes you feel vulnerable because all this stuff comes up and you're like, really, am I that boring or distracted or whatever, you know, yeah. you think it would like make you feel elevated and great. And some days it does. And some days it kind of beats you down because it's hard. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're not wrong. It's true. I know it is. So they talk about meditation, um, and I'm going to try to explain this simply, but as having two minds, right? So you have this monkey mind that sits on your shoulder all day and is like, and it's kind of interesting because so much of who we are is what we're exposed to. Mm -hmm. And this is really true for children. So, you know, it's the advertisements on the TV. It's the books I've read. It's the people I'm around. It's the school I went to. It's my, and it's my judgments about those things. It's my emotional and cognitive reactions to them. Right. Mm -hmm. And so we actually are kind of just products of our conditioning. We like to think we're these, I don't know, people, but so much of it is just what we're exposed to in our lives. Right. It's our culture in a lot, in a lot of ways. And um, so when you're sitting there trying to distill down and be quiet, you realize all these parts of conditioning that you are, which is pretty enlightening in one way because you start to recognize it. Um, But then they say you have to give that mind something to do. That's what I've heard from really good Mm. um, meditation teachers. When that monkey mind comes up and starts barraging you with like distractions, you have to give it something to do because it needs something to do. Um, And that thing typically in meditation is breathing. So you say, okay, 
why don't you just focus on the breath right now? Notice all the different things about it. Notice if how much how my chest feels when I take a big deep breath, how it feels when I exhale. Is my heart beating? Is it slow? Is it fast? So you have to give that same That's interesting. Yeah. just busy mind things to focus on that mm-hmm. are within you. And it's kind of what you're doing. You're learning your body. So then you can also take your mind and think, how do my toes feel right now? Are they cold? Are they warm? Do they, um, you know, hurt? And then you move up your leg. Oh, I'm focusing on my shins now. So you just kind of move your awareness around your body. And um, that can be really helpful because it gives you something to do gives your mind something to do. And then I think people, you know, we do get still, but it takes a while. <laughs> right. Doesn't happen. I know. I feel like I always give up the practice before I get still. Mm-hmm. That's a little bit of my downfall is I don't, I haven't developed the patience to wait it out. So to speak. Well, we'll try 30 days and yeah. you can do five minutes. Mm-hmm. I think I'm going to try to do 10. Okay. I've actually been wanting to restart my meditation program and I haven't had a good excuse or reason not to. I've just been fairly distracted and busy. It does take a concentrated effort for sure. I I have had people though say they focus on how they want the day to look. So mm-hmm. you envision your perfect day. That's mm-hmm. another way to meditate in the morning. So you picture going into work and everybody being in a good mood and everything going right. And maybe if you're working on a project, you have a big breakthrough because if you um, look at all the really successful athletes, a big part of their training these yeah. days is their mind. Right. And so visualizing. Mm-hmm. So that's another way you can meditate is to mm-hmm. visualize how you want the day to go or mm-hmm. even how you want the next year to go. So you start mm-hmm. imagining what you want your life to look like. And that is the first step in creating it and making it happen. You know, we call it manifesting, but I think really what it is, is you're planning. And so as things come at you, you know how to respond because you've already done it in your head. Mm-hmm. And so, so Bruce, oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, you go ahead. Bruce Lipton, who you talked about, he actually is a biologist and he studied, uh, he studied like one of the founders of epigenetics and that whole idea that what you expose yourself to is um, what you become, not just in your life and experiences and successes, but also your actual genes, diseases, um, health, that, you know, the chemicals that we produce in our bodies, which that's really well understood. If you're in a calm, peaceful state, you're going to be making more serotonin. You're going to make more oxytocin. If you're in a really stressed out state, you're going to make more cortisol. You're going to have more adrenaline in your body. Um, And those are going to turn on different health issues. So, you know, somebody who's always gripped and anxious and scared is going to suffer from different illnesses than someone who's relaxed because their chemical soup in their body is completely different. Mm -hmm. And so meditation kind of just gives you another tool to control that. Mm, So you don't jump to anxiety or you don't jump to fear or anger. You learn how to kind of slow things down, come back to your body and choose how you want to feel. 
So one of the things we're doing when we meditate is we're not reacting because I am very aware in my life that so much of what I do, what most people probably do is react to things around us um, rather than making deliberate choices about doing things. Mm-hmm. Can you talk a little bit too? I remember one of the things when we were first talking about this and when I was, you know, one of the first times I really tried to dive deep into this topic is um, the subconscious versus the conscious mind, right? The, we think of ourselves as being related to our conscious mind, but what is it? It's like a ridiculously disproportionate amount of our brain activity is subconscious. Would you talk a little bit about that? I know you've studied that a fair amount. Yeah, so I'm glad you brought that up, actually. Um, so when you, so when I was saying about how you can kind of project and manifest, our brains are extremely powerful. Mm-hmm. And um, when we think of the world in a certain way, we see it all around us. And we can call that manifestation or whatever we want to, but the real truth is we're looking for it. So if I'm a really optimistic person and I open up the paper in the morning, I'm going to focus on all of the happy, good feeling stories that are on that paper. Within the first second that I looked at that piece of paper, my computer brain, you know, saw every word on the page. Um, It might not have processed it in my conscious mind, but my subconscious is incredibly powerful. Mm -hmm. And I was able to get a snapshot of all of the different topics on that really quickly. And then the way that I think of the world is what I saw in the newspaper. And someone else who focuses maybe on war and they're really scared that things are going to go bad and that the world's ending, they'd open up the same paper and they would read all of the stories or notice all of the pictures on that page that were related to their view of the world, that things are bad, that people are dying, that we're all doomed. And you could look at the same exact thing and get a different perception from it because I was looking for something and they were looking for something different. So we saw completely different things. And I mean, we- And maybe we weren't consciously looking for those things. It's the idea, part of the idea is we don't even notice that we're- don't even notice. Mm -hmm. Well, and I was going to say too, a lot of times I didn't even read the paper. I just glanced at it and my brain kept only the positive parts in it and someone else. So when we look at the world, we see completely different things. And we experience this all the time. You know, when there's a, um, like, let's say there's a crime and they interview people, everybody saw something completely different. I mean, that's been really well documented. And it's interesting. They say that memory is totally fabricated. Like if you ask someone about an event a few months later, they could have it completely stored wrong in their brain compared to what really happened. Because we see things as we are, not as they are. And so you become, the whole world becomes a projection of what's inside you because you can find whatever you want. Um, And so I find that really interesting we create our own and disturbing. I I actually have a funny um, example of that, which was very unconsequential for the world. But to me, it was a really stark example. Um, I went to my 30 year high school reunion a couple of summers ago. And 
I've been to my class didn't have them every five years. We had one at when 15 and then we had one at 20 and then we didn't have another one until 30. I've been to all of them. I haven't lived in that town for a long time, Uh but I went to all of them. I had smooshed together 15 and 20 in my brain. I went to both of them. Uh, I made the trip home stayed in a hotel or with a friend like I went to both I can recall now the different outfits I can remember the different venues but in my mind I had pushed them into one event and I insisted for most of the weekend until one of my high school friends showed me photographic proof that I had been at two separate events five years apart I had pushed them together in my head and I was sure that I was right about that. And one of our third, you know, our mutual friend agreed with me until our (laughs) other friend showed us that we had been at two different events. No, we didn't just have one. We had two. We had one at 15. We had one at 20. And now we're all together again for 30. And it was just like, I was so sure. I was so sure, right? You probably convinced (laughs) the other person more than they were. Maybe. Maybe. She was like, yeah, I'm with you, Jen. I know. I, we were there together. It was just the one. No, it was two. It was and you two. live in Indiana and you live in Portland. So like, that's a big trip to not remember. I, well, I was living in Chicago for the first and the second. Okay. Got for it. 15 and 20. The, and of course, now I remember my husband, Mike came with me for both of those events. If I had consulted him, he probably would have been like, yeah, we went to two I'm sorry. He would remember because he's like, God, that was a lot. I had to suffer through two of your high school reunions. That's funny. (laughs) I've been to one. I'm not very good. And it's not even that far. I still can't get back. But um, yeah, so we kind of create everything in our brains. So we want to be pretty careful, right? And pay attention. Right. So one of the things we're doing when we meditate is training Uh our brains. Be more aware. Mm -hmm. Yes. Training our bodies. I kind of, that was one part of the subconscious that we don't recognize how we see the world because we're not conscious of it. That was one part. But there's another really important part of um, our subconscious brain. And that's that it controls about 95% of what we do. So it's really Mm. useful because if we had to think about every single thing we do, we'd be exhausted. However, which is probably some, and on some levels, how brain injured people feel, right? They mm-hmm. are having to relearn everything and it's exhausting for someone who's had a stroke. But for the most part, we only make 5% of our decisions with our conscious brain. It's mm-hmm. not very much. That's crazy. We, you know, do most things by programming. And right. And so, you know, one thing that meditation can do is it can pull you out of your habit loop and allow you to look at it a little bit more objectively and say, are those good decisions? Because I think so many of us just do things without thinking, does that fit who I want to be or what I want my life to look like? And years go by and we don't question it, you know? And maybe our 5% of decision-making each day is just picking, do I want cherry or grape? And <laughs> right. maybe we need that to be more important decision-making. <laughs> so our subconscious is really powerful and we need to, and so one of the times that you can reprogram your subconscious this is what some of the data is showing um, is during meditation. It puts mm-hmm. you in this 
place of plasticity in your brain to reprogram oh, the subconscious. So does, um, so does hypnosis. So I'm really interested in hypnosis because the research would suggest that you can make big life changes with hypnosis. It's huh. pretty popular in quitting smoking of all things. And is that, um, is that demonstrated in clinical outcomes? I'll have to get back to you. Yeah. I mean, I know that I have read it in um, credible sources, but I don't know what the studies were. You know, there's some really good books. And this was kind of you and I getting back into our podcast because we'd been kind of pulled away for a couple of weeks. Yeah. And I would like to prepare a little bit more for another one. Maybe after you and I do our 30 day meditation challenge, mm -hmm. um, I can spend some time doing some more research and we'll do a second podcast on meditation, but mm -hmm. this one will be with research. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I would recommend Bruce Lipton. Another thing that he says is that um, our subconscious brains are basically programmed by the time we're seven. And he gives a lot of information on how we develop and how we need to be so careful with our kids because we are creating the foundation for their lives. So Jen, it says we have less than a minute. Oh, it's going to cut us off. Okay. Yeah. Sure. I love you. Love you too. Good to see you. If anybody wants to do it with us, put some comments in. We'd love to have people do it with yes, us. Yes, most definitely. So we're Two Sisters Health and we're meditating. For 30 meditation. Days. Love you. Love you too. Uh, uh, wait, I think it's okay. Mwah. Bye, Jen. Okay, bye.